the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP. ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved healthcare outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio. I am hijacking the mic from Justin, and I'm Erin Albert, Senior Director of Education at ASCP. We have a very special guest with us this time on Senior Rx Radio. I originally reached out to him about my podcast, Farming Your Career, also part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And the day that this gentleman got back to me, we had a bit of a crisis going on at ASCP where we lost one of our major keynote speakers at our annual meeting in November in National Harbor, Maryland. So it was a bit of serendipity, but we ended up utilizing the guest a little bit more than just for the podcast. So give a listen to my conversation with Civica CEO, Martin Van Trieste. Well, we're here today with Martin Van Trieste. Martin, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me, Erin. So we have a great story behind how we connected, and that has in part to do with the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists. And I originally had reached out to you to have you on my podcast, Farming Your Career. And it was so funny that the day you responded to my email was the day we also lost one of our keynote speakers at our annual meeting with ASCP. And instead of just being on the podcast, you graciously agreed to be one of our keynotes as well. So thank you for that. No, you're welcome. It was great. We had a great fireside chat between you and our CEO, Chad Wurz. Um, Great audience response. And they were really, really intrigued by what uh, Civica, and that's what we're going to talk about predominantly today. But I always start with the same question of all my guests on my podcast, and that's how did you get to where you are today in your own career? Yeah, it's, um, you know, as we described earlier, Aaron, it, it was a lot of serendipity and just being in the right place at the right time, but it all was also a result of a lot of hard work and perspiration. Uh, I attended pharmacy school at uh, Temple University, graduated there in 1983. But between my fourth and fifth year of pharmacy school, I had the chance to do a National Pharmacy Council internship at Abbott Laboratories in Chicago. And um, I went to Abbott. I've never really left the Philadelphia area in my life. I went to Abbott for this internship, moved away from home for the summer. And uh, when I was there, I really enjoyed working in the industry and decided maybe my career path should change from community pharmacy to industrial pharmacy. And so when I went back to school, I started to prepare to go into an industrial pharmacy role. Um, and uh, at that, that following Christmas, I called my old preceptor at Abbott and I started talking to him about you know, what I was going to do. And he just happened to say, wait a minute. I have a job opening. Would you like would you like that job? So clearly I made an impression on the gentleman, but if I didn't make that fall phone call around Christmas time, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. 
So I started my career at Abbott Laboratories as a formulation pharmacist. Uh, from there, I moved into manufacturing. And then from there, I moved into quality, where I eventually became the head of quality for Abbott Laboratories Hospital Products Division. And then later in life, um, 21 years after I started that job, uh, the company decided they were going to spin off my division. I said, that's not something I wanted to do. And uh, I went on a, a job search and found this company called Bear Healthcare. Uh, they were had a position in Berkeley, California for the head of quality for biological products. I didn't have a lot of experience in biologics and clearly I didn't know what California and Berkeley, California was like, but picked up my family and we moved to California and we took that job. And that was a really interesting role. That was um, a turnaround opportunity where we had to fix the business that was broken and worked 24 seven for two years straight to do that, fix the business. And uh, I got an opportunity to go to Amgen. And I retired from Amgen after 10 years as their chief quality officer. And so when I think about my career, moving from community pharmacy in Philadelphia to industrial pharmacy in Chicago, then why was Abbott taking the opportunity when different roles became available, uh, really that were stretch roles that I had to learn to be successful in those jobs, moving to California and changing companies twice in California Clearly, what I learned in that was, one, to really establish a strong network so you can leverage that network not only to help you in your personal development and your career, but also you can help a lot of other people. But then second and more importantly, when opportunity comes knocking, even though it doesn't seem it fits right into your perfect sweet spot, uh, to consider and even take some chances. Because I think if you take the chances and you work hard and you make good impressions, you can significantly advance into fields that you, you didn't even think about when you were in school. Yeah, I love that. And we're going to come back to that because we definitely want to talk more about what advice you'd have for younger career uh, professionals. But all of that career story is wonderful, but that's really not the reason why I contacted you. I contacted you because you came out of retirement to run a brand new company called Civica. So can you help our listeners understand what Civica is and why it's unique? Yeah, so Civica is a non-for-profit generic drug company that was founded by several large hospital systems. Uh, one of them is Intermountain Healthcare and then Trinity Health and SSN Health. And the reason that they felt they needed to form a non-for-profit generic drug company is that the challenges they were facing every day in hospital pharmacies and in hospitals in general around drug shortages. And so over the last 10 years, over 200 products uh, have been either on or off the ASHP or the FDA's drug shortage list. And when something goes on drug shortage, uh, as, as the hospital pharmacist in the audience will know, it creates great disruption in the hospital system. They're always trying to find now an alternate source, um, an alternate therapy, and something different. And also in the medical community, right? They're looking for what alternate paths of treatment that we need to put in place. And some of those alternate paths are suboptimal for patients. 
And at other times, they can't treat a patient. They have to not do a, an elective surgery in order to, because they don't have the medicine. And so that created such disruption um, and pain and also patient outcome issues that after a while, the hospitals decided they needed to do something because Indrisi wasn't doing it for them. And that was the genesis of Civica. Now, I had retired from Amgen for about two years before the people at Civica approached me and said, would you be interested in advising us to start a pharma company? And I agreed to advise them, and I did that for about a year. And then eventually, um, they came and offered me the CEO role, which I, I had refused a couple times after they made the offer, because uh, I really did enjoy retirement with my wife. But after a while, I realized that you know, I went to school to serve patients. I spent my entire career in the pharmaceutical industry to serve patients. I've been very fortunate and very successful. And this was an opportunity for me to give back to the community. So I decided to take the job. But in order to give back, I decided to do it pro bono. So I do not take a salary from the company. That is amazing. And how did you come around to the nonprofit model? Was it your work with RX360? And if so, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So clearly, um, RX360 introduced me to what nonprofits can do and how they can be successful. Uh, and RX360 was a response to the heparin crisis where Baxter's heparin purchased from an API sourced out of China uh, was actually adulterated intentionally for economic gain with a with a oversulfonated chondroitin sulfate. And that that actually went its whole way through the supply chain from crude heparin to purified API of heparin to heparin finished drug product and tested and met all its specifications and quality standards as it was going through the process. So it was well-designed well adulteration. But at the end of the day, it, it didn't work in the patients the way heparin was supposed to. And, and several patients died in the United States and around the world. And there's dispute about that number. But some people peg it about 800 patient deaths were, assault, were associated with this heparin. Well, when that happened... One of the things I realized then is that it was very unfortunate that that happened to Baxter. And I was very fortunate that it, ha that it didn't happen at my company because I don't know if we would have been able to detect that kind of adulteration of any product because it was intentional, well-engineered, and it passed all the testing through the system. So I got with my colleagues at other pharmaceutical companies and I said, we have to do something. No, no one company can fix this problem. We have to collectively work together. And so we did, and that was the formation of RX360, which has been a highly successful nonprofit for over 10 years now. So I had that experience with RX360. Um, so when, when, when the people from Civica approached me to advise them as we were developing the model, uh, I use that experience to help them to model, develop the model for Civica. And uh, I'm very confident that the approach Civica is going to take will be very successful in reducing drug shortages at the hospital, in the hospital marketplace. Yeah, I love yeah. that. 
uh, it's really important to kind of focus on the, the generic um, injectable aspect of the drug shortages. But as well, I love the story around uh, your experience in nonprofits, because that doesn't always compute very easily um, in the world of pharmaceuticals. So thank you for sharing this RX360 story. So let's go back to Civica. How is this model different other than nonprofit? And how is it going to work? How are drugs going to go through the supply chain? chain with Civica? Yeah, so I think um, when I think about Civica and what makes it unique and different, and I think it also gives it the opportunity to, to succeed where others might have failed, is our model is very disruptive. And we're disruptive in several key places. So the first part of the disruption is that um, when we distribute our product, um, we will distribute it directly to the hospitals and hospital systems, which means we won't pay uh, listing fees, rebates, and other kind of fees that are charged through the middle man of the pharmaceutical industry. So we avoid all of that. Uh, and that can be a significant cost of a generic drug, the cost that goes through the middleman. I think the second piece is we're going to have absolute price transparency. So when we acquire a product um, and we say, here's the price to the hospital system for that product, let's say it's $5 a vial, we're going to say it's $5 a vial and that's delivered to your hospital system. And that's the same price for the smallest community hospital of 10 beds in a uh, North Dakota, and it's the same price for the largest hospital system in the country. So everyone will have the same fare and what we call sustainable price. The next part of the model is we will establish a fair and sustainable price. Um, if you take a look at drug shortages, what you see is for any particular product that's on and off drug shortage, there's usually four to seven companies approved to make that generic injectable. But through the way contracting has worked over the years and trying to get as much volume into one pharmaceutical company as possible, you have this big chase, what I call the chase to the bottom on price. And then they eventually do sole sourcing contracts to get the lowest, lowest possible price. And so that price becomes unsustainable. So the example I would use is like isopaternal. At one point in time, Isopaternal was selling for $2 a vial. And that's not a sustainable price, and people can't make a fair margin at $2 a vial. And so people leave the marketplace and they take their resources and apply it to something different where it's more profitable. So when that happens, the supply chain becomes very fragile, and any disruption anywhere in the supply chain leads to a drug shortage. So when you have a shortage, now everyone's struggling to find, find alternate sources. People start hoarding material, which actually makes the shortage actually worse. And then the prices start to go up because uh, one supplier is standing. There are shortages. They start raising the price. And isoproteranol got as high as $2,200 a vial. And, and of course, that's not a fair price. That's a 100,000-fold increase. So somewhere there's a fair price, but something that's sustainable. 
And what Civica does is we'll find that price. And once we find that price, we'll go to our members and say, we can offer isoproteranol at $10 a vial. Now, currently today, I think it's selling for about 1600. And so the members will say they either opt in or opt out on isoproteranol. And if our members opt in, this is the next part of the system that's disruptive. We require them to buy 50% half of their isoproteranol volume from us over an extended period of time, let's say seven to 10 years. And that, that guarantee that our member gives us has a lot of teeth in it because contractually it's written so that if they don't take the product to use it, they're gonna pay for it anyway. We then take those guarantees and we work with our trusted manufacturing partners and we say, we, we have, here's isoproteranol, what's a cup, we want it at $10 a vial, we're gonna give you a seven to 10 year contract. Now, as a manufacturer, that level of certainty is very reassuring. They know for let's say 10 years, the annual volumes they will be producing, they understand the price they're going to receive, the revenue, and they understand the margins they're gonna make. And with that certainty, they're more willing to invest in capacity, investing, upgrading the, upgrading the process and, and the product, and, and upgrading their suppliers. And all of that then makes a more robust and reliable supply chain that we can provide the drug to our members with a high level of assurance. So let me pause and see if I understand this model, because this is not something we've typically seen in the, in the pharmaceutical industry. When you say members, do you mean hospitals that are part of Civica? And is it almost like a Costco or a Sam's Club model where hospitals have to pay a certain fee to be part of Civica and then they receive in turn the opportunity to purchase these drugs at a lower cost? Yeah, so it, it, it is a subscription model in a way. Okay. So when hospitals decide to become members of Civica, they make a one-time donation to the company. So that's just one time. So that's a little different than a Costco model that you renew annually. They make a one-time donation okay. to the company. We have three levels of membership. We have governing members. Those are the members who actually sit on our board of directors and help us manage the company to govern the company. We have founding members, which is the next tier. Those members uh, aren't on the board of directors, but they get to add individuals at at their desire to several committees to help advise the company. One of those committees is the drug selection committee. So they help us prioritize what products we should develop and when. And then the last category is a partnership membership and that's open to anybody and everybody. And the difference in tiering only is the, 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 the amount of the donation they make to the company. They all get the same low price and they all have equal access to any drug that we're producing. Interesting. So 
When you say hospital, what does that mean? So, for example, in our world of senior care pharmacy, that could mean a lot of different things like skilled nursing facilities, long term care. So when you say hospital could be a quote unquote member, how do you define that? Yeah, and it's it's a it's a very broad definition. So it's hospital systems. So those are, you know, traditional hospitals that have beds and doctors and they do surgeries and traditional what you would think is traditional, but those are clinics. Those are ambulatory care facilities that could be nursing nursing homes. So it's a very broad definition of what fits into a healthcare system. Okay, that's helpful. And let's go back to the drug part, because it it sounds like you're starting with generic injectable drugs. So is this committee, the um, drug selection committee, the committee that's going to kind of parse out which drugs go first? And do you see a vision down the road for this committee to not only look at injectable drugs, but potentially oral formulations or others? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so the committee's well, we get together quarterly with the committee. Uh, they determine based on market conditions and what's happening in the hospital system, uh, which products uh, we should be considering. We have over 200 products that we're looking at. And of course we can't do 200 products in one day, in one year. So they have to prioritize the order. They've given us their top 30 list uh, that's clearly based on what's causing the most disruption in the hospital today. And uh, what we're doing is, of course, our members are health care systems, and most of those are hospitals, traditional hospitals. So we're focusing on drugs that are essential to operating a hospital, drugs that have been on and off the drug shortage list, and drugs that either have some predatory pricing going on. But first and foremost, it's what is on the shortage list. Okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask as well, so if there's a hospital facility out there or a system that's interested that is not yet a partner of Civica, how would they learn more about these three different tiers of membership? Yeah, so um, clearly they can go to our webpage, uh, www.civicarx.org. They can also email me at martin at civicarx.org to gain more information. Uh, I can give a little more clarity on the different tiers. And we try that the tiering and the donations are designed that every hospital system can actively participate, even those small community hospitals that serve indigent populations mostly. Um, a, a, a governing member, they make the largest donation. That's a $10 million donation. Founding members make a $5 million donation. And partnering members pay $300. That's $300 per licensed bed. And that's capped at a million dollars. So it's the, it, it, was, it was overwhelming to me the number of healthcare systems that want to join Civic and, and make significant donations to the company at a point in time where we've not delivered a product yet, right? We're making a promise and we have a business model that everybody believes will work. But that just goes to show you that the need is so great for something like Civica and that our solution really does answer the problem. Yeah, so I guess my bigger picture question for you, and I know you and Chad at our annual meeting with ASCP talked about this a lot. 
Where do you see healthcare and pharma heading in the big, broad, 50,000 foot level? I know you guys talked about the mergers going on, um, some of the, the really high dollar kind of boutique uh, drugs, you know, genetics. Um, can you just kind of give us some high level views from your viewpoint as to what major changes you see coming down the road? Yeah, well, you know, I'll try to summarize it in a, at a very high level. Um, you know, the healthcare system is primed for major disruption and major innovation to do, you know, two pretty important things, right? One, improve the outcomes of healthcare for patients, and two, do it in a more efficient and economical way. And if the current participants in the industry uh, don't figure out how to do it, then some outsider um, from the outside will be disruptive and replace the traditional participants within the industry. So I think it behooves us all to look for things that are very innovative, that break, that really break the models that we're used to doing to um, have a significant impact on healthcare. And, and civic is gonna be one of those disruptive models, but there are, there are many more coming. I mean, you just look at all the different players now entering the healthcare space. You know, Google is doing, getting into healthcare and into pharmaceuticals and medical devices. Amazon made some big announcements about getting into healthcare. You know, you have people who are just looking for things they can do. And I think technology, along with big data and artificial intelligence, are going to enable the change that we're going to wake up to one day and say, what happened? So with that, I, I want to kind of wrap up with the original thoughts that you had on career development. And often I ask my guests, you know, what, what are the best career advice tips that you have for early career pharmacists and looking back o over your own course of your career development? Yeah, I, I kind of look at it in, you know, three, three things that I emphasize um, to my children on their careers, but to other people who are looking for career advice. Uh, one, you know, be willing to take chances. And that, that means be willing to take a position that's, that does, that's out of your comfort zone and you don't feel comfortable. That could be taking a position for an organization that you don't know a lot about. It could mean moving to another region of the country to take a chance, but you have to take some chances um, to, to, to develop as a person, as a professional, and for your career advancement opportunities. So I think that's one, be open to take, you know, chances. And the second thing is be, be a good networker. And I, and I say a good networker, because that's important. It's not just having 7,000 connections on LinkedIn. That's not what I mean. It's not having lunch with three new people a week. Uh, being a good networker is building a, a network where you're providing people help and advice and guidance. So more of that they're doing for you. But when you need it, that network is there and you can lean on it. But more importantly, when something comes up and someone thinks you might be a person for that job, that opportunity, 
uh, they'll 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 remember you and recommend you. So be a good networker. And and then finally, really, nothing nothing is more important than really hard work, perspiration, and getting things done on time. That's really the most important thing. You know, I always say to people, uh, you know, live up to your commitments. Do what you say you're going to do. And if you can't get it done when you said you're going to do it, just let people know you can't get it done and why. And I think those those three things, if you you know stick to those diligently, uh, one, you'll develop as a professional, you'll develop as a person, and, and your career will advance and you won't even recognize why it's doing it. Yeah, I love those three tips. Uh, thank you for sharing those. And, you know, the number one question that we received during your fireside chat with our CEO, Chad Wurz, at ASCP's annual meeting was, how do I learn about getting involved with Civica? Not even from a membership standpoint, because we've already discussed that, but from the employment standpoint and or volunteerism. So can you share with our audience where you are in the hiring process and or where people can learn how to connect with Civica from an employment standpoint? Yeah, so um, right now we're still a, a fairly virtual company, um, but pretty soon we'll be launching our first product. And as we launch our products, Civica will start to grow. As we grow, we'll need more and more human resources to help us do that. Uh, we will be posting every job on our webpage. We have an employment slash volunteers page on the website. So it's also that's www.civicarx.org. And we'll be posting things out there from time to time. But anybody can send and deposit their interest in Civica along with their CV at the website. And those are the first places we go to when we need when we need human resources to help us. Well, with that, Martin Van Trieste, thank you so much for your time and attention, not only for our podcast here at Senior Rx Radio, but as well for being a superhero of ours at our annual meeting and swooping in and sharing your career experiences with our audience. Well, Aaron, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm really glad I got to meet you during your crisis. <laughs> Thanks, Martin. All right. Thanks for listening to another episode of Senior Rx Radio. I'm Erin Albert, Senior Director of Education at AOCP. If by chance you are excited about different modes and methods and topics for learning, I would encourage you to go over to our website right now between November and January 17th, 2019, as we have our call for educational proposals open for 2019. Now, not only does that cover our next annual meeting with ASCP, but we have a variety of questions and methodologies by which you can share your expertise with our members. Webinars, shorter TED-like talks, and or other opportunities all the way through to workshops and boot camps. Please share your expertise. We're dying to hear what topics you would like to share with our members. Again, it's ASCP.com forward slash page forward slash call for proposals. Thanks so much and have a great day. Thanks for listening to Senior Rx Radio. Be sure to share this podcast with your fellow consultant pharmacists and pharmacy associates to learn more about better outcomes for older adult patients. Join us on the web at ASCP.com.